Hey there, welcome to The Culture, a weekly show where we talk about the latest in the world of arts, culture and entertainment. I'm Osman Faruqi and today on the show I'm speaking to the incredibly talented and Grammy-nominated musician Courtney Barnett. Courtney is one of the most successful Australian artists performing right now, and today she releases her third studio album, Things Take Time, Take Time. I caught up with her as she was gearing up to head out on her first international tour post the pandemic in the United States. We talked about the creative journey behind this album, the different sound and production styles she's been experimenting with, what it's like to write about love, and of course, The Sopranos. Courtney Barnett, thank you so much for joining The Culture. Thanks for having me. Uh, It looks very sunny where you are. Where in the world are you at the moment? Yeah, it's sunny. Uh, I'm in Joshua Tree. I've been here for a couple of weeks. I start tour soon. Joshua Tree was, I read, where you were just before the world fell apart. What's it like to be back? Yeah, it was. I, yeah, it's, it's kind of strange. Yeah, it feels like this whole other lifetime has happened. And it was kind of in those moments of, you know, looking ahead to the future and like wondering if you'll ever go back to certain places that you've been to before. <laughs> so, yeah, it was nice to come back here. It's kind of felt a bit full circle for the for the album. Yeah, I remember the last time we were in the same room was, I think, a gig at the Old Bar, and that f- could have been this year. It could have been last year. That feels like an entire lifetime ago as well. Yeah, it's funny, yeah, how time <laughs> time has taken on a whole new meaning. You're in the States gearing up for a tour for your upcoming third album. What's it like getting ready for hitting the road again and performing after such a long kind of enforced break? I mean, it's going to be the first time playing these songs with a band. In that sense, it's always kind of slightly nerve-wracking, and but it's also just fun kind of figuring out how songs translate from the studio into that kind of live performance space, and they always change a little they kind of meld into something else I'm looking forward to it in some ways it kind of feels like particularly looking at America right now that things are just kind of back to normal almost there's you know a sense that things are gigs are back venues are back and it's been a little bit a little bit bittersweet I think on one hand from Australia like it's exciting to see people be able to go and enjoy music and and art all over again and see artists perform and tour but is there any element that feels a little bit daunting to you concerns around things like safety have you had to think about issues to do with vaccines and, and you know who comes to gigs and what that means for you and your crew yeah totally I mean all of um my shows are going to be uh, like vaccination, you know, negative test, a very kind of, I think similar to a, a lot of what a lot of other people have been doing that I've been seeing. And yeah, it's funny, like, I feel like there's some sense of, you know, I talk about being excited and et cetera, which I am, but there's, it's like me trying to be a, a little bit turning on the optimism a little bit. I think I am 
there's I'm definitely like less scared than I was a few weeks or months ago. Yeah, just seeing how serious everyone is taking it, like the organizers, but also the audience members, like people are extra kind of patient with each other and extra thoughtful and, you know, just giving each other space and kind of being respectful in that in that sense. You've probably been following, there's been a bit of a political battle in Australia, particularly in Victoria, to kind of get the live music scene back up and running after these lockdowns. I think so much of it's focused on this, what seems to be this disconnect between governments really keen to get things like the horse racing industry Mm. back up and running, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily having a plan for live music. I mean, do you think that says something about what we as Australians are what our governments value or don't value. It it just kind of always has felt like during this time that live music and the arts have been this afterthought rather than something that's so vital and necessary to, to support. Yeah, I mean, you said that beautifully. I agree and it's frustrating. It's frustrating to see, like I remember the other week I opened the news and there was a thing about the Melbourne Cup, 10,000 people and that's kind of the first thing I saw and it's infuriating in that sense because it's there's just a grossness just feels disrespectful to anyone kind of within the the music and the arts industry who can't work let's talk about the new album things take time take time did you start working on this before the pandemic kicked off and sort of changed the whole world and did you have to adapt and respond to that or is this a work that emerged out of, you know, what we've all been experiencing and living for the past 18 months? Yeah, a bit of both. I mean, I kind of started writing, working on the album just over the last few years, but in late 2019, it really kind of started coming together. And like, I remember writing the song, write a list of things to look forward to in late 2019. I think I finished that song in Joshua Tree and there's another song, Sunfair Sundown, I wrote early 2020. Take it all Yeah, you reap what you sow and so it goes What you put in the ground comes around When you don't really know what you're missing at all But, like, in kind of from March onwards when I came home and when we were in lockdown, I the album really pulled together and I definitely wrote like a lot of the songs in that time but it's funny like songs are just my songs seem so not linear like there's a song called Before You Gotta Go which the guitar part I'd probably had for a year or two Hmm. so yeah I did the album definitely pulled together a lot of it in that time but it kind of existed from other times and other memories and stories and all that stuff. I'm really curious about uh, the way that kind of isolation impacted your creative process because I've often thought that, you know, if you're working on something, if it's an album or or a book or a big piece of creative work, the idea of having, you know, being stuck inside to work on it is kind of sometimes what you need. You can't procrastinate. You've got to get it done. But I also know from talking to different artists that it was creatively draining. Like you weren't out having experiences and, and meeting people and doing all the kinds of things that often leads to inspiration for, for things like like songs. Like, did you already have these ideas and so you needed this time and space to, to make it or did you find it also a little bit potentially stifling? Yeah, like everyone I spoke to was either they felt so creative and so inspired from whatever the, 
I don't know, the, the change in life and they just suddenly felt inspired but other people who just couldn't do anything, who like couldn't write anything, couldn't play anything, like didn't even want to pick up an instrument. So, And I think I kind of seesawed between the two a little but for the most part I had a guitar in my hand like nearly all day <laughs> and I'd lay in bed and like talk to a friend on the phone and, and have the guitar next to me just thinking about these songs because I think it's kind of the one place where I could put my energy and feel useful. We'll be back after a short break. If I'm being honest, one of the things I'm a bit anxious about is all of the art that's about to be released that was created in lockdowns. And as we're finally opening up and and getting back to some kind of normal, it's sort of the last thing I want to do is grapple with what everyone has been thinking about while they've been stuck inside. Your album, despite largely being written and recorded during that period, doesn't really feel like a lockdown work. But were there any themes or ideas that arose for you or that you were ruminating on during this period that did find their way onto this record? Yeah, true. I, I, I hear you. I think, yeah, I guess I didn't want to make a lockdown album. But at the same time, I think as I wrote, I was like, well, that's where I am and that's what I'm experiencing. So I'm not going to like bend to like try to omit certain things but also like looking outside that lens of of just yeah I think it brought up bigger like questions of like time and space and life and death and love and friendship and things which you know always exist anyway but when you're just really focused or you're looking through that lens or through that window or something it it um you see it in a different way so I think I was just kind of exploring that, exploring how I was, you know, seeing things Hmm. differently. Love is an interesting one. I want to come back to that, but there's a few other things that um, I just wanted to talk about in terms of the the making of the album. I think to me where the sort of restrictions of the situation are the most apparent, I think is in terms of the production and the sound of the album. My understanding is that your only collaborator really on this one was Stella from Warpaint and do you think that that reflected the fact that in this period you were limited in who you could work with or was this something that you always wanted to do, was just do something kind of intimate with with one other person working with you on, on instruments and writing? Yeah, I think I think a little combination of those two things. Like the first time we worked together was maybe five years ago when we or whenever we did the Kurt Vile album. And we toured together a bit around that time. But I remember in the studio, I was like, one day I'd like to work with her again on some some project. So it kind of was always in the back of my mind. And then I was kind of working on the songs and working on demos. And I was sending Stella some of the demos because we'd just been in LA a couple of months before we'd done a gig. So we were kind of back in touch talking about music. And so it was just like a guess it was slight circumstance as well and then a few little projects came up where um I had kind of set up like a small home recording <laughs> setup very simple like a microphone and a computer 
and I was asking her advice on some of the the gear and then a couple of small projects came up like the the Sharon Van Etten cover and um the Harriet the Spy theme song yeah and because we weren't allowed in studios yet it was a lot of like online and like home just a different way for me to think I mean I know every everyone was kind of doing that and adapting but um it was kind of good for my brain I think to think outside the box a little and I demoed songs a lot more than I usually would and you know it's just it just very small ways but it was just different things that was enough to kind of keep me um like it was challenging and it made me just experiment slightly differently in songwriting terms and also in kind of production terms yeah, one of the things that I really noticed in this was the the electronic drums that are across a lot of the tracks, and I wonder whether that's a function of having Stella, who is a is a drummer, you know, be be such a key role on the album. This might sound weird, but like when I first heard Race Street and heard the album Race Street, the the first single and the the first track of the album, it sounds like Phil Collins to me. <laughs> And I feel like that's not kind of a vibe that I've heard a lot before in your kind of music. And I know Here's the Thing is another track where I feel like the drums, the drum machine really kind of stands out. Yeah, I'm riding. It's the only thing that I know how to do. I don't know. Maybe this is what you were just sort of saying, but is that the kind of experimenting, whether through situation or just creatively, you wanted to do? And and how do you feel about how it sounds on the album? Yeah, totally. I love I love how it sounds. I'm just I'm so happy with what we made, and I think it it really reflected what I was searching for in my head, what I what I wanted the songs to sound like. But yeah, without a doubt, I mean, I think everyone that you play with always like brings their own you know style musical style but also personality everyone I've ever collaborated with without a doubt you can hear the the kind of the differences and the different kinds of yeah personality that 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 creeps in I like I could have made a very different album with a different band or a different producer or different anything so I kind of I write a lot with um, drum machines at home, and when I demo, um, I kind of I normally do demos just into my voice memos in my phone, um, <laughs> just with a drum machine and a guitar. But here's the thing, especially I had this little drum machine that was on my phone, like a I forget what it's called, funk box or beat box or something. It makes got the best, it's got the best sounds, and um. That's how I wrote that song. You're basically like a, a SoundCloud rap producer. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, when something, I mean, songs evolve so much over time, but they always change and they're always like, they always grow in different ways. But sometimes like that one, for example, I just could not get that sound out of my head. Like the song needed that, like uh, that, um, that mechanical repetitive kind of, sound to go with it because it made it slightly hypnotic.
I think that's what I first loved about that song. Like it, without kind of planning on doing that, that's、um, just how it came together. And then, you know, normally when I take the song to the studio, and I and I have those things in my in my head and my memory, but then、um, I'm like, okay, so now let's do the real drums, and now let's like make the real version of the song. But then when I did that, it lost like this magic from that sound. So that was one of the first things that Stella said when we were planning on going to the studio. She was like, "Well, I think like you shouldn't get rid of all the program drums because sometimes they're they're kind of part of the song." Now, I'd never even considered that for some reason. I just was like, "Well, that's how I write the song, and then I move on." So it was, yeah, it was really fun. Like in the studio, she would reprogram something based on what I had done, or she'd just come up with a completely new. A new sound, and then we kind of layered. She would play live drums along to the drum machine, and it just became this really beautifully layered world. <laughs> I love that. I'm so into the、uh, drum machines. Courtney Barnett and Eight Oh Eights. Next, I reckon that's the way to go. <laughs>、um, hearing you talk about that, I kind of want to do、um, the song exploder type thing. I feel like it would work so well. Hearing you talk about that and using、um, those samples, that was really. Thank you for explaining. That process. I love Song Exploder. It's so good. I went back and listened to your one from a few years ago about Depreston,、oh. and it was so interesting because, I mean, I've, I moved to Melbourne last year. I live in the north. I live in Brunswick, and it's so funny. Like, I kind of didn't really want to do a Depreston thing because I'm sure you're sick of talking about, you know, Courtney Barnett. You know, her first big song, Depreston. We drive to a house. But I, it just made me think about how funny it is, in a way, and I mean that with great respect. That this song that is so specific about like looking for a house in Melbourne's inner north became this smash hit in the U.S. But I guess you know that's music. So much music is super specific, and we listen to it. it doesn't really matter. It just speaks to a, a universal, a kind of generational experience. I think. Yeah, totally. It. I think that's the thing that I've just come to realize because I probably used to think it was funny and strange, but then I realized that all the music that I grew up with was like American and specific about you know New York streets or whatever, and it doesn't matter because I think when we listen to music, we connect. Like, I mean, we definitely connect on. On on those levels, but I think the the strongest one is always going to be like the emotional, some sort of familiar emotional level. Yeah, I think even just that the basic premise of like house hunting or gentrification or whatever it is, it's such a universal thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like a love song. You don't need to know the person that you're writing that song about to feel a connection to that. And you, you did mention love. I mean, it's actually maybe my favorite song on the album. Is if I don't hear from you tonight, I think it just feels so joyous and and heartwarming. And it's so quiet outside with this curfew lullaby. Is now an okay time to tell you that I like you. And then. There are just those lines in which you capture that sense of what it's like to be waiting to hear from someone. That the line about you know your friend telling you that the love is is re- requited.、Um, I'm 
I'm kind of getting emotional hearing it. It's just, it's a really beautiful song. Um, I don't know if I've heard you write that much about love before in maybe such an explicit way. Did this feel like something different you were putting out into the world? That's really sweet, first of all, just to hear you, that your reaction to that song. Thanks for sharing that. It's really nice. Yeah, I think it could just be, you know, I think maybe where I am at in my life or like my, I'm not really sure why, but yeah, a few people have actually said that. And it's, I mean, it's nice to hear. Maybe I was just kind of in that moment, just kind of being open to that feeling and just kind of trying to celebrate that that joy, that kind of joy within that feeling. We'll be back after this break. This is uh, maybe a, an annoying question to ask when you're just about to put out your next album, but I know that different artists uh, work in different ways and you, going through this process and thinking about touring, whether the process of making this album has made you think about other things you want to do, whether it's collaborate more with, with one person or go back to, to being in a room with more people, whether there's certain creative ideas you want to pursue, are you already thinking about that kind of stuff or are you just happy to hit the road and, and to smash this one out? Yeah, I actually, as much as I'm excited about performing the songs and playing live, like even I feel like I've just got a whole new level of gratitude for performing live and live music in general. But, yeah, I think regardless of that, I, I am. Um, I did feel so inspired by making this album. Like I, I was, yeah, I kind of, I do keep thinking about the next one and I'm like damn it I've got a tour but also that's great that I can tour I'm very excited to tour but I also cannot wait to like hmm. just um make something else because it just feels so fun do you write when you're on the road yeah I mean it's kind of on and off I'm kind of always writing on and off but sometimes it can be difficult but yeah I try to just kind of stay open to ideas and to you know, when things come up, just try to follow them up. There's a question I want to ask you as someone who's worked and performed extensively both here in Australia and in the United States as well. And is this question that I think has grown in residency in recent years to do with diversity in the music industry? I don't just mean diversity in terms of gender, but also things like culture and race. And look, by no means is the United States a perfect place when it comes to these things. It has very well-documented problems. But when it comes to things like festival lineups, the people in charge of the industry, those sorts of things, it does feel like the conversation is at least significantly ahead of where we're at in Australia. It just seems like the big festivals there, things like Coachella, Lollapalooza, not only seem to be more contemporary and reflective of those communities in terms of the lineups. But also I know that a lot of the festivals there have, you know, campaigns and and strategies that are that are about making sure that the crowds look like the rest of the country and things like cost aren't barriers. You know, the subsidized tickets for people from marginalized communities. It seems like even starting that conversation in Australia isn't going to happen 
anytime soon. I wonder whether I'm just looking at this from the perspective of the grass is always greener, and that's my sense of things on the outside here in Australia. What, what, do, what do you think? Does it feel like to you that we're still playing catch-up to the states in particular on these sorts of issues? Yeah, I mean, when you put it that way, it definitely makes a lot of sense, and I have been able to tour in so many places and just see the kind of differences firsthand the annoying thing is that when like whenever this comes up and it people get so defensive about these things instead of like having that conversation which the conversation is such an important part you know like that's how we change and that's how we learn and that's how we do better and that's what's so annoying sometimes is that people just don't want to have that conversation in the first place and I feel like there's this defensiveness that comes up and it comes up everywhere. But I, I feel like what you're saying a little bit, like it can be a little bit more common in Australia sometimes, but to be able to have that conversation and like learn and grow is so important. And that's what's annoying when that doesn't, when that doesn't happen, when people kind of refuse to listen or to change their kind of practices. Before we finish up, Courtney, I really wanted to ask you about what you've been watching over the past year and a half. It's been an opportunity for us to catch up on new shows, revisit old shows that we loved. Is there anything that you found particularly compelling or that you've really enjoyed? Yeah, well, last night I watched the new episode of Succession, which I'm loving. Oh, amazing. And this new season is incredible. I think it's the best yet, right? Like they've just sort of taken it to another level. Yeah, it's... I just crammed the first two seasons like in the last month or so and they were great but this one's something special. <laughs> I watched Soprano, The Sopranos for the first time. I feel like um, a lot of people did in that. In lockdown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, I think a lot of people did it. Yeah. This is yeah. one of those things that would always come up in my life and I was like, I'm never going to have time <laughs> to do that and then, and then I did. And um, you watched the whole thing? You smashed through the whole series? Yeah. Oh wow. I loved it. Yeah. I love more than I than I thought I would. I need to watch the wire next, apparently. I love that this has become a time where everyone is just catching up on those like prestige shows that, you know, we, we missed or yeah. And they are really good. Yeah. Yeah. And the last sort of question in that, in that sort of space, I found myself when I was thinking about the music that I wanted to listen to over this past year and a half or so, I went really nostalgic. Mm. I was like, I just want to be reminded of, you know, my teenage years and, and simpler times. Um, what what did you find yourself listening to you know, over the past year and a bit? Yeah, I. Um, it was a beautiful music listening time for me, I think, just because of that time. I kind of went down the Sopranos line of, you know, things I'd always been meaning to do but never got around to. Um, One of my big discoveries, which wasn't one of them but someone I'd never heard of, was Arthur Russell, and that was a big discography to listen through and so kind of vast and different and so fascinating. Um, So I spent a lot of time kind of studying his music, which was fun. And then, I mean, I listened to a lot of Nina Simone and. Joni Mitchell, Leonard Cohen, Alice Coltrane. Did listening to any of that stuff have any impact on the way you were making this album or were you just separating those two things? I'm I'm listening to this because I love it and it's fun and it's totally disconnected from the work that I'm making right now. Yeah, I think it all blends in somehow, even if it's 
whether I'm actively looking for some specific sort of inspiration or just just kind of soaking it in. And I think all the different types of music that I listen to end up doing that, like they soak in in different ways and just inspire in different ways and when you kind of least expect it, it comes back around. And TV as well. You do have that that track on the album about... (laughs) Uncle Uncle Junior. That is very yeah. Sopranos inspired. <laughs> My next album will be Sopranos themed. <laughs> um, hey, Courtney, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Really appreciate it. Of course. It was really nice to speak to you. Uh, good luck with the tour. Thanks, mate. Have a beautiful day. The Culture is a weekly show from Schwartz Media. It's produced by Bez Zoder and Atticus Basto. Our editor-in-chief is Eric Jensen, and our theme music is by Hermitude. I'm Osman Faruqi. See you next week. Listener.